0: Lord, help me to open this short passage of Scripture to make it real, to make it come alive, to apply it in a practical way to everybody here, from the oldest to the youngest. May we take something away. And Lord, if there's any sin in anyone's life that he or she needs to deal with, may they deal with it this day. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never Truly come to Jesus, that today would be that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to look at this character. She is a striking character. The first thing we notice is that she's a prophetess. She's a prophetess. She spoke for God. There are not a lot of prophetesses in the Bible, but there are some and we, we, we know that she's a great prophetess because she gives this last prophecy of the Messiah. And it's interesting that among the great prophetesses of the Bible is the prophetess that, were the, that the Jewish people, after they returned from exile, memorialized in naming one of the gates of the temple after her. She's the prophetess Huldah. When the Bible was discovered again in the temple of God during the reign of King Josiah, he began to realize they were in great trouble and he didn't know who to ask. And so he sent word and they went and they went to a woman and that woman's name was Huldah. She was one of the great prophetesses of God. And we find prophetesses in the New Testament as well. We find, for example, that Philip, the deacon, had four daughters who lived with him who were prophetesses. That is, they spoke in church. They spoke out the word of God. They foretold the future. If we really look at the Bible, we see that there's opportunity for men and women To share the truth of God. Don't ever let the fact that you're a woman keep you from telling people in the mall about Jesus. You've been called, if you're a Christian, to tell other people about Jesus. No matter what your station in life, even if you just became a Christian yesterday, you have a calling on your life to tell other people about Jesus. And so we find in the Christmas story some amazing people. We find Elizabeth. We find the Virgin Mary. And we find Anna. Now, Anna is a fascinating person. If we look at her, uh, she is a person, we are told, who was uh, of the tribe of Asher. Have you ever heard people talk about the ten lost tribes of Israel? They're people that make all kinds of nonsense out of it. There was a heretic... Uh, who made a great deal out of it, and he had uh, he he began to make prophecies about the future, not based on the Holy Spirit, but on his conjecture. He said the British people people were the lost tribes of Israel because the Hebrew word berit sounds like the Hebrew, like the English word beret, <laughs> and that if that sounds like nonsense. It is, because it is pure nonsense. But what we find here is that she was of the ten lost tribes. Asher's one of those lost tribes. They weren't ever lost. It's just that the great bulk of the Jewish people fell away from the faith. And those ten tribes ended up all over the known world back then, particularly in Alexander's day. So many of them ended up in India and other places because they were scattered. And many never returned to the God of the covenant, but some did. Remember this. There's always a remnant of God's people who know Him and love Him, and she is of the tribe of Asher. And notice something else about her. She was very old. Now, when I read those words, and it says... In verse 17, then she was a widow until she was 84. I'm thinking, 84. Now, wait a minute. That's not very old. That's not very old at all. The older you get, the less old that seems. But there's another way to read the Greek text. There's an ambiguity here. And if we read it another way, because the Greek is not worded precisely at this point, precisely because God did not want it worded precisely that she had been married, that she was a virgin when she was married, according to the Greek text, and that she lived with her husband for seven years. And then she became a widow, and she had been a widow for 84 years. Now, that's old. If she were a widow at the age of 84 after being married seven years... That would make her about the age of a lady that I read about in the local paper in Alexandria who ran in a contest and she was 105. That woman's still alive and running races. Can you imagine that? That's very old. So we don't know if Anna was 84 or if she was, say, well into her hundreds. But we know this. She was active. My father's sister played the piano for my family uh, when she was just shy of her 102nd birthday. She had a baby grand piano in her parlor, and she came in in a wheelchair, and she played. She was active. What's the secret of healthiness in old age? Well, there are a couple of things we'll find as we read this text. She was active. That's one thing we see. This was a very active woman. Whether she's in her hundreds, early hundreds, say 105, or whether she's 84, she is active. You know, she didn't view her age as a time to go buying a cemetery plot. She viewed her age as an opportunity to serve God without being fettered. And so what do we read about her? In in the in that same verse, the second sentence, she never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. So this woman was an active woman. This woman was busy. This woman was busy serving God. Now I want you to think about it for a moment. What if you as a young woman became a widow? And what if in those days, there, were no one, there was no one around that wanted to marry you? What would be the natural tendency? I think the natural, natural tendency would be to be very bitter. You know, I know people. I've known thousands of people in my life because I've lived in various places. And I've tended to know people very intimately. And you know what I discovered is, for most people that I've known, Particularly as I visited in nursing homes. The older they get, the more bitter they become. The older they get, the more bitter they become. This woman wasn't bitter. This woman was a happy woman. In fact, the name of her tribe, Asher, means happy. She was a happy widow, merry widow. But her merriment, was because she devoted her life to God. Now, I want us to see something else here. Turn with me, if you will, over to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 5, because we'll learn something about biblical economics here. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and that's page 1849. He says in verse 3, 1 Timothy 5 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. So where does charity begin? Look at verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. So what's God's order of charity? Charity begins at home. Charity begins at home. It's taking care of your loved ones. It's bringing that loved one into your home. It's not, and this always steps on toes, parking them somewhere. And I can't think of a worse thing. In fact, I've written it in my will. I can't think of a worse thing than being put in one of those gulags for the elderly. And like during COVID, you can't even visit people. If any of my heirs challenge any element in Sandy's and my will... They are automatically disinherited. <laughs> I, had, I had the wife of a deacon who's an attorney who told me one time, I've never had a contested will and offered to do our will for free. And she worded it in such a way that I figured out, well, absolutely, who's going to contest a will when you're automatically disinherited by doing that? Now, what you find in charity in the, in the biblical days, charity always begins at home. Is it troublesome to do that? Yes. You know, when you say, I do, in marriage, you need to remember you're saying, I do, to your extended family, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. Sandy took care of my mother. I helped take care of her mother. You know... That's the biggest single problem we have in modern culture, society. Charity begins at home. You take care of your own. And then notice, he says in 1 Timothy 5, and he says, um, this is pleasing to God. And then he says in verse 5, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God. And continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Who is that in verse 5? 1 Timothy 5.5 five sounds like a description of the prophetess Anna. She was all alone. There's no record that Anna ever had children. Can you imagine in that culture in that day when having a child was a sign of God's favor and not having a child was a sign of God's disfavor? That's what people believed in the days of Anna. And here she is all alone. She's putting her trust in God. And I submit to you, the great truth about Anna is that she depended on the Lord. And the amazing thing is that what's described here Is a perfect description of her. Verse 5, again, 1 Timothy 5, 5. Left all alone, puts her hope in God, continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. And then he he goes on and speaks about young widows who don't do that. And he says in verse 6, the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, hear this. If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. People are sometimes surprised when I tell them I don't believe in tithing. I've had a lot of people think I was kidding Let me tell you, I keep track of my finances. And I have a category in Quicken. I've been using Quicken since December of 1988. I have a category called CH. That's charity. Full colon NTD. Wonder what NTD stands for? Non-tax deductible. I keep track of my giving. But when I give to someone in need... I'm giving to God. And where does charity begin? I want to keep the lights on in this church. I like to get reimbursed for mileage when I drive. I'm very grateful for a check for preaching on Sundays. But I'm telling you the truth. If there's a need in your family, your family comes before the church. What? That sounds nuts. That's because we've been trained not to think that way. But if we look at the New Testament, the family comes first. Take care of your own. If you don't take care of your own, you're sinning to put money in the plate. Oh, no, Bob, i already got trouble meeting the budget. No, I'm as serious as I can be. Charity begins at home. If anyone, verse 8, does not provide for his own relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith, he's worse than an unbeliever, worse than a pagan. You know what the pagans were like in that day? Pretty bad people. So that's what God thinks of your giving money church when you should be taking care of your own relatives. Wow, that's weird. By the way, I need to throw out as an aside, what do I believe about politics? I'll give you this. I think that there are three poles that government should, somewhere between one and all of them, is a center. Government, first of all, needs to honor God's law. That's what justice is, not what you and I think it is. It's what God's word says that's very important. Then I happen to believe that maximizing human freedom creates prosperity. So therefore, the less involvement of government in people's earning a living, the better. So there you go. Capitalism. I believe in capitalism. I believe in petty capitalism. What does that mean? That means that the bigger the corporation, the more ungodly it likely is. (laughs) So petty capitalists, that means raise chickens. Sell those chickens. That means make handicrafts. That's a a biblical ideal. And then the third thing I believe is that government has a responsibility, if we look at the role of government in the Old Testament, to provide a safety net for those who can't take care of themselves. Now, that was done in Israel by the Israeli government in the days of the wilderness wanderings and settling in Palestine. Just getting that out of the way, because people sometimes wonder, what does he really believe? (laughs) Anyhow, that's what I really believe. Where do you land between those three poles? I don't know. I don't believe in a hard and fast political philosophy. My concern is to be a Christian, and my concern is the Christian church. Kingdoms rise and fall. My burden is the Christian church and that it seeks to conform to biblical standards. But notice here again what he says in 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith. You know, I believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. And if you don't take care of your family, you're denying your faith. So that's an important truth. Now, going back here again, we look at Hannah, at Anna, I'm sorry, in, uh, in Luke chapter 2. But before we go there, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, because I think that we need to make a quick stop uh, off, off the road and uh, consider this truth. Hebrews chapter 12, page 1877. And look at what he says in, pay, in Hebrews 12, 14, page 1877. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, I, I look at Anna and having visited so many people in the nursing homes over the years. I I say most old people are just bitter, bitter, bitter people angry, mad at God because life has short shrifted them. Bitter, angry. Most, not all. I found some precious people in nursing homes and I remember one particular lady who I think was like Anna. It was when I was a pastor in Kansas, and she was in a nursing home up in Sterling, Kansas. So it was quite a drive for me to go visit Miss Mary. And uh, Miss Mary had been a missionary to China. And then when when the communists took over, she had to leave. And so she went to Japan as a missionary. She had never married. She never had children. And I visited Miss Mary. I did Miss Mary's funeral before I left Kansas. One day, the last day that I visited Miss Mary when she was still alive, she was exactly the way that she was when she was a year or so younger. Except for one thing. This extremely happy, very joyful woman was trying to feed herself. And every time she opened her mouth to put the eggs or the gruel in her mouth, her upper dentures fell down. Now, I don't know about you, but that would made me, make me mad as a hornet. But here she was, all alone, never had children, and she mastered the technique. Of feeding herself when her uppers didn't fit any longer. You know what she did? She used her tongue to push her dentures up. As she slid the food underneath her dentures and into her mouth. And you know what? She was happy. She was happy. How can you be happy living in that existence? Why? Because the secret of happiness is loving Jesus. She loved Jesus and she loved people. She loved to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I had one of her relatives contact me before they put her in that nursing home. They were worried about Miss Mary. said, you know that my aunt gets on buses in Wichita and rides all over the place. And she's almost blind, but she wants to travel and go see people. She was involved in evangelism of little children. So she would gather children together in certain neighborhoods, particularly Asian neighborhoods, because that's where God had called her to minister as a young woman. Miss Mary was a happy, happy, happy woman. So we go back to Anna. Anna was not bitter. That makes her remarkable. Remarkable in a world where most people are bitter. In fact, bitterness usually begins early in life and the time you're a teenager. Or maybe it's on Christmas when you get up the first time and you ask Santa Claus for something and you didn't get it. And your sister got what you wanted. Bitterness is just part of the human situation, but not with Anna. Look at her again. In verse 36 of Luke 2, page 1592, she was a woman who served God day and night. Do you want to be happy? Do you know there's a secret to happiness? The secret of happiness is to be busy. There's no one more unhappy than someone who has too much free time. I remember when I was a pastor in in, uh, Alexandria, sometimes I'd go to the nursing home to see people, and I had this sinful thought come into my mind. Man, I wish I could just lie in bed like they do and watch TV. I'm so tired, I'm so busy, I'm running ragged. But you know, the secret of health is being busy. But busy at what? Busy indulging yourself? going from one thing to another, trying to fill the emptiness in your heart, that's not going to make you happy. Do you think Bill Gates is really happy? Do you think all of these people are really happy? What are they doing? They're shoving one thing after another inside themselves, trying to find what you can find right now, today, in this place on the 19th day of December, 2021. And you can find that by laying your life down before Jesus one more time. One more time saying, Lord, here I am. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And I'm willing to forgive. And then name it out loud, not out loud in church, but name it to the Lord. I'm willing to forgive this person, that person. I'll never forget Having made a huge mistake one day when I bumped into someone uh, in the Alexandria Mall who had been married to one of our deacons who had run around on her. And uh, then he remarried. And uh, she was a very bitter woman. And I, my brain always gets words confused. And I called her by this man, he was a medical doctor, he was a, a doctor of internal medicine. I called his old wife by the name of his new wife. You talk about a look. Oh, it was a look. She had taken a knife to him when she found everything out. And she'd never forgiven him. And she died a bitter, bitter, angry, mean old woman. Wow, I don't want to die a mean, mean, angry, bitter old man. And here is Anna, the prophetess Anna. She is a person who's busy serving the Lord. She's interceding for people. I want to know people like Anna. I was so grateful to know Miss Mary in Wichita, Kansas, because I knew that she prayed for her preacher. And I always need prayer. Believe me, I need prayer more than you can ever imagine. I'm no different than you are. I need prayer. Pray for me. And Miss Mary prayed for me. I'd like to think that Miss Mary's still praying for me up there in heaven. And so Anna is busy in the kingdom of God. Verse thirty-seven of Luke two. Then and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. That is, uh, after eighty-four after eighty-four years of widowhood, possibly she never left the temple but worshipped night and day. Never left the temple. We might say, so and so was there every time the church doors were open. But here's the deal wherever you are, in your own bed, on your own sofa, as you're out walking, worship the Lord with prayer and fasting. Because what's the result? The result is you'll be free. Isn't it amazing in our world how few people are free? And look at verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment when Mary and Joseph have come to present Jesus in the temple, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, there were two kinds of people living in Jerusalem in those days. The people who were full of rage and anger and bitterness because their people had been conquered by one conqueror after another by the Assyrians, later by the Babylonians, later by the Medo Persian Empire, later by Alexander the Great and his four generals, and later by the Romans. And the Romans were not nice people. We often idealize them, they were horrible people. The Roman Empire was a cruel, monstrous empire. And it's never ended, by the way. And here they are. People were full of hate and bitterness and rage. And we're going to take down these wicked Romans. But there are other people. People like Simeon that we'll talk about next Sunday. And Anna. And they're devoting themselves to the one and only thing that can change government. Prayer. Mad at the government? Sure, do something about it. Let me go buy an AR-15. Let me tell you, I have a weapon to offer you today that is vastly more powerful than AR-15. And that is Anna's weapon. Because Anna prayed and she sought the Lord and she was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And like Simeon the prophet, Anna saw the Lord. Wow! And then she had to tell everybody about it. Do you know the Lord? The great test, if you know the Lord, is you want to talk about Jesus to people? Maybe you don't have anything to talk about. Jesus is all there is. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is all there is. And that's all I have to offer you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we ponder the events around the birth of Jesus, that you would give us to be people like Anna, who had nothing else and nobody else but you, and she was dependent on you. Perhaps she was in her hundreds. Perhaps she was 84. We don't know, but we do know one thing. She was never idle. She never just plopped herself down and watched television. Not that it's wrong to watch TV. But, Lord, she was living a life of praise. And she never held on to resentment. She always let go. The moment someone offended her, because I'm I'm sure many did, as she's there in the court of the women of the temple of God. Who is that old crone? She probably heard many things, many slurs. But, Lord, she had trained herself instantly to let go of bitterness... Instantly to forgive and to get back praying and praising. Lord, may we be like Anna. May we know the Lord. May we love the Lord. And may we love people. In Jesus' name, amen.